Well, if I have not had the joy to meet you, my name is Michael Fueling. I'm the lead pastor here at the Village Church. Welcome to 2020. I cannot believe it. It is a new decade. Do you applaud? Do you cry? I don't know what you do, but um, I'm fairly excited about 2020. Uh, this morning, we're launching a four-week series called Together. I love it. Again, I'm just always amazed you can all read. It's so wonderful. Um, and here's, here's the simple vision of this series, that we would walk into 2020 together in vision, unity, and love. So for the next four weeks, we're going to do three things. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to unpack the three major metaphors in scripture that God uses to describe the church and especially the local church. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about the metaphor of the family of God. The next two weeks, we're going to be looking at the body of Christ. And finally, the fourth week, we're going to be looking at the family or the bride of Christ. I'm sorry, the bride of Christ. The second thing we're going to ask you to do during this series is we're going to be um, asking you to self-evaluate. Uh, one of the things I want to ask you to do as we look at this series is to ask yourself whether or not your relationship with the church, especially the local church, is one that is consistent with scripture and brings God glory and then therefore brings you life and joy and happiness. And finally, what's going to happen at the end of each of the sermons is our leaders are going to make um, a big ask of you. Um, these asks are going to be to help each one of us move together into 2020, and automatically your brain is going to money. That is the least of our concerns right now. Our greatest concern is for you and your heart and your thriving, the unity of the local church, which is so near and dear to Jesus Christ. And we want to make sure that we go into this next year, and we go into this next year together, unified, and on the same page. So let's shift, gear, let's shift gears. Before we talk about the family of God, let's talk about the American family. All right. Um, here's what we know. The facts are in. People are getting married later. People are having kids less and later. People are beginning to see marriage. Uh, I don't know if you see this yet. If you're older, you may not get this, but um, the younger generations are beginning to see marriage as oppressive and restrictive to personal and sexual freedom. For those who do engage in creating their own family, they are seeing marriage, hear this, as a contract for a time rather than a covenant for life. You see this, right? This is all around you. Marriage is a contract for time for a time rather than a covenant for life. And so here's my question, why? I believe the answer is really simple. At the core, the reason this is probably happening is because of past family pain. Just watch this. People who have been hurt by their families, particularly their moms, their dads, their family units, their family structures, you know this, this should not be rocket science for any of you. They tend to value the institution of marriage and the family less than those who come from a healthy, biblically-based, we'll just say structurally, biblically-based, nuclear family. So here, let's be clear, inside of the church and outside of the church, people who are roughly under 40 years old are rejecting what they saw in our homes. So what we grew up in, right, uh, my generation and those younger me are looking at what they saw in our homes and saying, we don't want that as it stands. We want a different version of that. And so here's what's happening. Past family pain is causing young people to look up and say, I want to do things a little bit 
different. Now, here's my question. Is this good for the kids or culture? The answer is no. You can actually respond. It's okay. The answer is no, not at all. But here's the, here's the crazy thing. All the studies are in. Like, this is not even debatable anymore. People who come from strong families and people who are in families, they are happier, they're healthier, they're wealthier. Like, all these things that are the American dream, the, 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 the family unit has a way of accelerating all of these human experiences. And then, but why? Why do we as a generation, generations under me, why do we look at the family unit knowing it's good for us and yet we push it away? Why do we do that? Past, family, pain. So you may not understand this, uh, how it works, but I want to just draw this out for you, and I want you to just process with me for a moment. I'll put this on the screen so you can see this. Past pain enables us to walk away from that which we know is for our good. Like, you know the word enabling? Um, you might have a fight with one of your friends, and, and you'll say to them, you're enabling your son or your daughter. Here's what this means. You're creating an atmosphere that permits and encourages broken behavior. So what happens with pain is pain is an enabler. It tricks our minds. It creates atmospheres in our mind and in our heart that allow us to justify repeating broken behavior, even though we know that we know that we know the behavior isn't good for us. You see this all the time. So what happens when people are hurt by their family, there are very typical patterns that they follow. Let me just show you these. Step one of the pattern is very simply this. It's jadedness. They become jaded to the institution of marriage. Uh, They become jaded to actually having children and creating a family beyond even just this. Then what happens is the second step, and the second step is fear. Fear of marriage and especially having kids. And so because of the fear, jadedness turns into fear, and then they push it off, and they push it off, and they push it off. And it gets easier to push it off, generally speaking. Then what happens is the third category, which is distance. And this is we create safe distances from the things we're afraid of. We get close enough to try to get its benefits, but not so close that we're kind of all in with it. And finally, number four is commodification. And this is what happens when we are trying to keep our distance. We turn the thing, the good thing, into a commodity, which means you use it as long as it's good for us. Is this the way God has ever, ever expected, designed, or wanted the institution of marriage to be related to by people at all? No. It is good. It is for his glory. And yet, again, there's a whole generation of people who have watched the way we've done it, and they've said, we don't want what you have. We're jaded. We're afraid of experiencing what you've experienced. We're creating distance, and they're commodifying the entire experience. Now, did you know that the exact same things apply to the spiritual family? When people have been hurt by their spiritual family, especially their spiritual leaders, the same exact patterns emerge. They become jaded. Jaded to the institution of the local church. Jaded to the idea of membership, like that's too far, too fast, too soon. Fear creeps in. Afraid of, excuse me, ministry leadership and ministry ownership. It might require too much. That's just a little bit too close. Distance, you create safe distances where you get to experience the benefits of it, but it can't demand too much of you. And then ultimately commodification, where you use it as long as it's good for you and you make sure, hear me, you always leave a way out. Let me just ask you a question. Is that how God wants 
the family of God, the local church, how he wants you to interface with it. Everybody say no. One, two, three. No. But it's real, isn't it? It's real. The majority, I don't think I'm overstating this, the majority of true, genuine Christ followers in the American church have a profoundly broken relationship with the local church. And I just don't believe this is what God wants or how it's supposed to function. So let's, let's dig into this. There's two competing, I think, realities that we're watching happen, and uh, we'll use two different words to describe this. One is the mall, and the other is the family. And so I wanna, what I want to do is I want to just take a minute. I want to explore sort of how this looks um, on the ground. And what I want you to do is just very simple. I want you to self-evaluate. Um, I want you to just ask yourself, how am I relating to the local church? It was designed to be my spiritual family, but am I relating to this thing in a healthy, in a healthy way? I also want to cast a vision for you guys. I want to cast a vision for something better than just a mall. I want to cast a vision for something that it could it could be. All right, the mall. Number one, engagement is contingent on convenience and commodity. But in a family, engagement is rooted in commitment and promises. At the mall, you're united by shared brands, cliques, materialism. But in a family, you're united by shared blood, name, values, and ministry. Do you see the massive chasm between the two? Just so far, we're two in. Like, it's huge. And when God designs you to be a part of a spiritual family and you interface with it like a mall, you can see like there's some brokenness there. Like this is not good. This is a sign that something is really wrong inside of us. The mall is a place to hang out if my friends are there. Like you get it? Contingency, commodity. Like that's the basic premise of interfacing if the church or is a mall. But if it's a family, it's a place to help others find true community. Here's the irony. As you serve others, you find the very thing you're looking for. A mall is a place to be catered and served. I mean, everyone in the mall is paid to serve you. But guess what? None of you are paid to serve each other, are you? <laughs> but in the church, it's a place to serve and to sacrifice. Uh, the mall is a place where the best is expected. But in the family, a place to serve and give your best. What do you do when you're in the mall and you see trash on the ground? You leave it, and then what happens in your heart towards the people running this place? Judgmentalism, right? You guys know that? You're like, gosh, if I owned this place, it wouldn't look like that, blah, 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 right? What happens when you're in your home and you see a piece of trash? Not if you're a, an 11-year-old child. <laughs> what happens when you see a piece of trash in your home? You pick it up because it's your home, because you have ownership. You don't, I don't go home and say, everybody serve me, right? My home isn't a mall. My job, I mean, some of you might shame on you, but... I go into my home, and my job as the husband, as the leader of this home, is to be the chief servant. A mall is a place subsidized by forced rent. A church is a home generously provided by willing sacrifice. We don't force anybody to give, and we don't guilt you. We tell you our needs. We let you know what it is, and the people give as the Lord moves. A mall is a place to get first. But a church is a place, a family is a place to give first. 
And the secret is, as you give, and I'm not, I'm not just talking about money. Get all the money talk out of your brain for a moment, okay? As you give, you end up getting more than you ever could get at a mall. You have buyer's remorse at a mall over and over again. You waste money at a mall. You sin in the mall time and time and time again. At least I did growing up when I went to the mall a lot. But a family is completely different. A family is a place where you give first. Now, I want to just tell you a little bit about um, my experience here at Village Church. Um, I started coming to Village Church in 2001. Um, I was interested in the girl who, now, who is now my wife. And I, I came on staff in 2003. That means this is, I think, year 19 of me being here at Village Church. And what is 2020? I guess you're 17 of being on staff. I have to do the math. It's weird, right? So 17 years of being on staff. Some of you have been here much longer than that. Some of you have only been here for like two weeks. Some of you have been here for a year or two, and that's great. So I've seen a lot at this church. Now, when I, when I grew up, I, I went to an incredible church. It was a very large church. It was a few thousand people, a conservative Presbyterian church, and it was incredible. In fact, when I left my home church, I did not believe that I would ever find a church that felt like my home, that felt like my family. Like I'd walk through the doors, you know, you're just like, ah, oh, it's just easy because it's your people. You know everybody. You have ministry. You have purpose. You're unconditionally loved. Like all these really amazing things that I experienced. And I worked for a couple churches, and I didn't even have that experience of home until I came to the Village Church in 2001. I wasn't even on staff. Nobody had any reason to be nice to me except I was interested in a girl who grew up here. What was really striking to me was within like a month or two, I found myself at home again. It was one of the most unique experiences I'd ever had. And here's what happens. Over the last 20 years, I've had the opportunity to meet multiple people who attended here and left. They left for a myriad of reasons. Some moved, some were upset. And I'll ask them. I mean, I can't even begin to count how many times this, is, this has happened. And I will ask them, oh, where do you go to church now? And they'll tell me where they go to church, and then here's how they follow it up. The village will always be my home. It's unbelievable. Over and over and over and over again. And so when I became the lead pastor here at Village Church, one of my desires was to steward this incredible culture that preceded me by decades, was here before I was even alive. And then as we brought new people in, what I found is that the new people were actually just so well loved and cared for by the culture here uh, that they very quickly began to feel like this was their home. And so one of my desires has been to steward this and to help people experience this. And, but it's really become uniquely challenging over the last two years as all the spiritual refugees of the Chicagoland area are hurt, they're jaded, they're defensive, they're afraid. And now because of that, the temptation to commodify the church, it's very, very real. And you see that, don't you? And I don't mean that as a condemnation. I mean it as an opportunity for you to self-evaluate and that's it. So I've made some observations about Village Church over the past 48 years since we've started. Uh, I've listened a lot, and I've seen a lot. And here just some, like, this is like my first, like, list. I actually had about 40-some things of what I thought made Village Church a home, but this was, like, the big top of the list. And again, if you've been here longer, there are going to be other things. But I just wanted you to, like, see, like, what made this not a mall, but a family. Uh, 48 years rooted in the gospel, the written word, and the living word, Jesus. I mean, uh, the men who came before me in the pulpit stewarded the gospel and the word of God and the centrality of Jesus with unbelievable clarity. 
I stand on the shoulders of 40 plus years of awesome gospel preaching and teaching of the word of God. It's just been a non-negotiable here. And so my desire is to build deeper into that foundation and hand off the pulpit to the next generation of of teachers um, here at Village Church to make sure that we're just rooted there. But this has been so solid. An all-in commitment to bring the gospel to kids from the very beginning. This church is, I just think, really spot on understanding that the ripest people to believe in Jesus are children. And this sense that from the very beginning, everybody, like if this was your home, you're just like all in. Like you may not know this, but if you take out all the people who serve weekly in Village Kids and Awana, it's like an unbelievable percentage of adults in this church who serve in kids ministry because they understand that is an investment. It's one of the highest ROI investments you can make in the kingdom of God is pouring into kids. We show up when someone is in need. It's just an interesting in-home. Like, if your brother calls you and says, I need you, what do you do? You show up. And Village just has this historically uncanny way of just showing up and being there when, when there is need. We eat and celebrate together a lot. Do you know that's what families should be doing? They should eat and celebrate together. You celebrate birthdays and anniversaries, and you always do it around food, which is why we're all a little overweight here. It's awesome. This building, we built it together. By we, I don't mean I. The people who came before me built this place, brick by brick. They did an incredible job. Like just this past weekend, like this year, our our men, I think one or two women built the garage out back. And this last weekend, a group of men came through and uh, they finished the inside of the garage out there. Like everything you look at was built by and large by the men and the women of this church over the last 48 years. We're a scrappy bunch of people and we build stuff together. But that, that binds us together. We do... Whatever it takes, together. Just whatever it takes. I remember in 2009, I was the interim lead pastor, and and I've shared this with some of you, but one of the biggest challenges for me in 2009 um, was this. We had uh, a ton of debt, like five, dollars $600,000 of debt. We were down to about 150 people. We had lost a ton of people. The building had not been addressed in a long time, and we had, like, we would be on a Sunday morning, and it would rain, and, like, all over the soundboard and the seats, it'd be dripping. Like, I remember this woman, she came in. She was uh, one of our elders' mother, and she was from Florida, and she sat, and she had this beautiful dress and she sat in one of the pews and had a big puddle all over. She was soaking wet and she was so embarrassed and I was embarrassed. And, and then I remember I was like, God, one of our biggest challenges is this. Can this place actually sustain itself financially with the debt, with the huge needs we had? And then we had a $163,500 bill come before us. And you know how much money we had in the bank? Like a negative $3,000. And so I came before the church on behalf of our leadership team, and I just said, here's what we need. We need $163,500. And we prayed. And then hail came. And then somehow an insurance guy came over and said, we're going to replace your whole roof, but you still need to come up with $32,500 to pay for new HVAC units. So we went before the church, and it was in the middle of the recession. A ton of our men and women were out of work, and and we went before the Lord. We just said, Lord, all right, here we go. Village, here's what we need. And we scrapped. I feel like people scrapped every bit of penny and dollars that they had. Their 401ks were tanking all their money. It was like freak-out time. You remember that? In 2009, 8, 9, it was like a nightmare. And guess how much money we got in? It was like $32,600. And the Lord just, I was like, all right, you you want to sustain this place. And it's always been his nature that the people have always risen up together to make this place happen, to make it a home. And it's been a beautiful, profoundly awesome, meaningful experience. And it has been one of the joys of my life to shepherd here. So I meet people and they tell me, hey, we're thinking about coming to Village Church. And can I just tell you like what what happens inside of me? I get really excited for you. 
Not because like a church grows. That's literally the least relevant thing on my mind. I get excited because I know the unbelievable people here, the family that is here. If you will lean in, I know the power of the local church. I grew up in an incredible local church, and I've spent the last 19 years of my life in an incredible local church that is a spiritual family, and I know the beauty and the benefit of it. And I am looking at you, and I'm saying, God wants you to be a part of a spiritual family. That's what he wants. So we plan the series for, for you, Villa Church. We plan the series for those of you, this might be your first week here. We plan the series for you who are jaded. We plan the series for you who you've been here, but your heart has just been holding uh, itself back from really being all in. Those of you who are here and you're all in and you love it and you are just thriving in your spiritual family, like this is still for you as an encouragement to say, you know what, 2020 is going to be even more transformational for our church than 2019 was. And 2019 was hands down the most transformational year we have ever seen in this place. What I don't want is for people to be left behind, which is why we're doing this series over the next four weeks to say, we need to move into this next year. We need to do it together. Pastor Michael, open up your Bible. Okay, good. Ephesians chapter two, verses 19 to 22. So what I want to do is I want to read this text and then I want to, I want to make six, I think, very simple observations about the text, particularly observations as they relate to the family of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. So then you, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints and, I love this, members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Observation number one. Uh, This letter, the letter of Ephesians, it's written to a specific local church about first how they relate to one another. Now, here's the trick. There's the local church, which is uh, a group of people who are followers of Christ, who have the leadership of elders and deacons, and they worship together on a weekly basis. It could be in a home. It could be in a building. It could be anywhere. It could be secret. It could be public. Um, but it's a group of people who come together uh, in the structure with elders and deacons. That's how Jesus Christ himself designed the local church. It's a good thing. It's how he wants it to function. Okay? Uh, we do this, and we open the word, and we worship together. We celebrate. Uh, we call them ordinances or sacraments or baptism and the Lord's Supper. It's very it's simple. To start a church actually could be very easy. Leaders, word, worship, ordinances. Okay? Now, the global church okay, is all the true Christians all over the world and all throughout history all together. And I think what happens a lot of times is we read these letters written to, by the way, local churches or the global church. Local local, written to the church in Ephesus. By the way, I just give you the answer. And we can sometimes take them out of their context and just apply them big picture when in fact what he's doing is he's talking to a group of people in a local church in a city and saying, this is about how you, this household, this family, this is about how you relate to each other. Don't miss that. A lot of this applies globally, but it first and foremost for them applies locally in terms of how they relate to each other. Number two, 
When you trust in Jesus, you have a new spiritual family. Verse 9, it talks about the household of God. God dwells in a house. They call that temple, et cetera, whatever. But wherever God's house is, we now dwell with him together, and there is now a new family. And in the Bible, all throughout the New Testament, this is the paradigm. Who is our father and our leader? It's God himself. God's son is Jesus, who reigns and rules. In fact, Jesus, biblically speaking, is our brother, we are brothers and sisters with each other. And, and I do think it's interesting that the Holy Spirit very much plays the function and role of like a mother. The Bible doesn't necessarily say that. That's very inferential. But you have family language all throughout. We are called brothers and sisters and father and a home and a spiritual family. Like this is the vocabulary that is just used. And so when you trust in Jesus for the first time, you are now legally adopted into this family. You are officially a son or daughter of God with Jesus and all the rest of us as your brothers and sisters. You are legally in this family. And when you trust in Christ, whether you understand it or not, does not matter. You are part of the family. Number three, this family, this spiritual family, is held together by our perfect leader, Jesus. Look at verse 20. It says that Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone. He's the centerpiece. He's the most important part of it. Without him, the entire thing could never be built. And without him, the entire thing crumbles. And one of the unfortunate things that we have to avoid is having the senior pastor position become the cornerstone of the church, that there has to be a deflection to Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone, the central, most important figure of the church. But I want you to catch number four. Jesus did not, per- Jesus did not just permit but ordained that imperfect men would lead in his behalf. Let me just tell you about the apostles and the prophets. They are not perfect men. Did they become good men or better men? The answer is, yeah, over time. But by and large, these are not perfect men. These are sinners who needed the shed blood of Christ to save them from their very own sins. And Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, has allowed apostles, prophets, and now pastors and teachers to lead the church imperfect as they might be. And he did this on purpose. And I have yet to meet a pastor the best, nicest guy I'm sure in the world who has not hurt or offended somebody. You take Billy Graham, the evangelist, right? I guarantee you there are a ton of people that he personally hurt, not on purpose, of course. That's just the nature of being a human being. And you put humans in leadership, inevitably someone is going to get hurt. Now in the body of Christ and the family of God, we work it out, right? That's what we do. We work through it and we work it out. That's how we're wired. But I want you to get this. Jesus, this whole structure, all the imperfections in it, when he created and designed the local church, he knew it, and he still did it, right? And he still did it. Number five, Jesus expects that the experience of spiritual family and togetherness would continue to grow. Okay, let's just say you are one of the three people in this church, or four people, that were here the day the church opened 48 years ago. I see one, the second service will have the rest of them, right? You were here. Have you mastered family? Deb, have you mastered family? Negative. <laughs> Negative. I'm not meaning that in terms of any of your families all around her, right? <laughs> it doesn't matter who you are. I could pick on any of you. You could, have, you could have been at a church for 80 years. It doesn't matter. There is still growth. 
there is still an experience of family that God is moving us through. Look what, he, look what he says to this in verse 21. In whom Jesus, the whole structure, all of this thing is being joined together. It grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And this is this idea that it is continuing to grow. It has never just landed. It's never just achieved. Like, and this has really good news for you. So you're going to come to Village Church. And let's just say you're like, you know what? The Spirit is moving me here. This is where he's called me to be. I'm going to land here. I'm going to treat this like my spiritual family. I'm going to overcome the pain of my past. I'm going to lean into this. Let me make a commitment to you. Someone's going to make you upset. Inevitably, I am going to make you upset. Like, get too close, and it's going to be a problem inevitably, right? Can you endure that? Because family endures. Family endures. But this is the idea that the experience of this, like no one's ever landed. You're going to continually grow and learn more and more for the rest of your life what it really means to be a spiritual family. In fact, I think the older you get, the more you tend to learn this because as you grow older and your body begins to fail and you need help in ways that you never previously anticipated needing help and you begin to watch your spiritual family rise up around you, you will learn new levels of what it means to be part of a spiritual community and spiritual family. Number six. If we are a true Christian, being joined together, just catch this, is always the direction God is pushing us. Does God want me to be part of a local church? I don't know. I'm kind of separating myself. I guarantee you, if you sit down with Jesus and say, are you pushing me away from being part of a spiritual family or toward it? What would he tell you? Toward it, always, every time. Being joined together grows into a holy temple in him. You are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is what he's doing. He is building people together in the context of a local church. For these people, it's the church of Ephesus. For us in this room, it's the village church. If you're visiting with us from a different church, when you go back to your home church, to your spiritual family there, he's talking about that place. But this is what he's doing. He's pushing us always in this direction. Uh, John Orberg said this about the local church, and I just love this. Here's what he says. He, Jesus, is still building his church. It's his. He thought it up. He created it. He authorized it. He resourced it when it had nothing. He launched it when there was no idea of it, and he continues to superintend it, superintend it no matter how badly we mess it up. He has no intention of letting it go until it fulfills the purpose for which he created it. And no matter what problems it faces, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that is the ministry that you have been called to devote your life to. Others have come before us, amen? And others will come after us, amen? This is our day. And this is our moment. Let's be all in. That's from John Orberg. All right, so every year, the first Sunday of the year, what we do at Village is we have Vision Sunday. So instead of doing Vision Sunday, we're going to do Vision Month. What I want to do right now is share with you a couple so what's. And the first so what is Vision 2020. Now, it's going to go kind of fast because over the next four weeks, you're going to hear some of these things unfold. And I'm just going to give you the high-level stuff so we can begin to be on the same page, use the same vocabulary, have the same categories. Before we do that, I want to just share with you a couple things that you need to know about how we as your elders, your spiritual, what the Bible calls spiritual fathers and leaders in the church, uh, some of the things that are really important to us. And so let's talk vision. 
Healthy vision is always an offering to the Lord and not a demand. I watch so many overcompensating people demand vision of the Lord, and I'm just like, I, you know, the Lord is the sovereign. We, my personal view, and I hope this is thoroughly biblical and I hope you share it, is that I want God's vision. I don't want God to acquiesce to my demands of my vision. Uh, I want to take time and I want to go before the Lord and say, what do you want for this church? I believe that you have a perfect, good plan for every local church. And I want to know for this one that we're here, that we're called to steward, I want to know what's your plan, what's your heart, what's your vision for this, and what do you want us to know of that? That's what I want. It's always an offering to the Lord. And so we pray and we figure this stuff out and we bring it before the Lord and we say, here's where our heart is at. This is what we're seeing. This is what we're sensing from you. We've prayed, we've talked, we've planned. Now we're giving this back to you. We're not giving this as a demand. We're saying, here's where we see you working and this is what we want to do. Number two, local church vision is not prophecy, but the overflow of intentionality and intimacy with God. I have personally found vision is almost impossible to catch when I am hurried and flurried. It's why I need extended times alone just to hear from the Lord. Vision requires intimacy. What I mean by vision is God's vision and good vision. It requires just time away from the Lord. It requires the collaboration of leaders. It requires time and patience. And God's vision is almost always discovered through waiting, watching, and praying. Almost always. There's a patience to it. So when we come on Vision Sunday and we share with you some of the things that we've been praying about and thinking about, like we did not pull these out of our rear in the last two days. These are things that we've been thinking about and talking about for some time now and bringing before the Lord and saying, okay, these are good. If they're from you, would you continue to open these doors? Would you shut the doors? Like I I have zero hesitation saying, hey, we think we're going to go this direction. And then six months from now, coming back to you and say, the Lord closed that door. Do you know why? Because I'm not a prophet. I'm not a prophet. And if I was, you would have stoned me a long time ago. There are three ways that people find vision. And I think, honestly, this could be incredibly helpful for all of you, whether it's business or church, your personal life, your family. Um, You're trying to find God's vision. Um, uh, We find he reveals it in three ways. Number one, we call these itches. And these are meaningful and pressing problems to solve. And vision is the solution. Like there's this itch in the middle of your back and you just can't reach it. So like you got to go get like one of those back scratchers and get it, you know, like you're going to see these problems around you that you just have to solve. And when somebody brings vision, the vision is the solution to that problem. And so one of the ways like you find a really good visionary is they just see problems everywhere and come up with solutions. Many people walk into a room and they don't see any problems. Well, that's probably not, you're not going to be the visionary who scratches itches. The second way to find vision is just through burdens. This is a a weighty picture of a preferred future given by the Holy Spirit. It's like this thing that the Spirit just puts on you and you can't ignore it. You can't shake it. You just know that it's from him. You test it. Sometimes you postpone it and you try to wait. And the longer you wait, it's still there. It's like that thing you just can't shake. And sometimes the Lord does this, and these are really meaningful. I find these are the ones especially that come out of margin and space and intimacy with God, where the Lord just puts something on your heart. There's not a, there isn't necessarily a problem right in front of your face, but it's there, and it's real, and, it needs, and, and the Lord has given that to you. Um, I've had a handful of these, and when I bring them before our elders, they go, hmm, well, you're not solving a problem. <laughs> God's not doing anything there. And I'm like, yeah, just, let's just sit on it. And then inevitably, if it's a good one and it's really from the Lord, that, that burden will start to spread and we'll start to see that and he'll start to validate that. Now, here's the third one. And this is the most fun. 
The third one is what we call breadcrumbs because breadcrumbs, it's a trail left by God that we follow. And as you follow the trail, you realize it's going someplace. So for example, what you start to see is God just starts moving. He opens the door here, and then he opens the door there, and then he opens the door there, and you're just mindlessly like, well, I'll open that door, I'll walk through that door. Wait a minute, these doors are on a pathway. Wait a minute, this pathway is leading somewhere. And every once in a while, you'll start seeing, you'll look back, and you'll say, wow, the Lord opened that door, and that door, and that door, and that door. I think he's leading us in a specific direction. What I'm particularly just really excited about is every single vision for or dream or goal for 2020 is a breadcrumb vision, every one of them. They're things that we're watching God already do, and we're like, I feel like we should walk that path. That feels like a smart thing to do. Now, you can't always figure out what's at the end of the path, but sometimes you just walk the path, and all I know is that next thing, it's like at the end of 2020, I don't know what's beyond it, but I just know I need to go to that landmark because that's where the Lord is calling us. That's where the breadcrumbs are leading. I also know this about vision. Um, God's vision exceeds current and financial, human and financial resources, I think like 99% of the time. Like, there has never been an itch, a burden, or a breadcrumb. We're all like, we've got everything we need. Let's go do it right now. Super simple. Ever. Ever. And so, uh, if you see these, and they look a little bit beyond our capacity or our reach, good. That's actually typically a pretty good sign that God might be up to it, because if it was easy, I wouldn't probably call it vision. I would just say, we're going to go do this and be done with it, right? But there are a whole bunch of things that God's been putting on our hearts uh, that seem to be breadcrumb vision. And here's what we have learned over the last 48 years of ministry here at Village Church. God always resources his vision in his time. Always. He's like a genius. It's like he loves this place more than any of us ever could. It's like he's got a bigger heart for the local church than any of us could ever have. It's like he's got more goals and and excitement and joy for what could be in this place than all of us put together. It's like he's all in with the local church. All right, let's talk about these. Um, These are five basic just offerings that we're putting before the Lord. We're going to put before you seeds we're planting in the ground, breadcrumbs that we're following. Number one, uh, and again, I'm going to fly through these, and over the next four weeks, we're going to dig even more deeply into some of them. Um, We started a couple years ago just a commitment to developing digital discipleship content, and we are going all in with that. And of course, our current resources do not provide us the ability to accomplish the vision that we have in that area. Um, We started a Q&A podcast about four years ago, and... um, Thousands of people interact with it, engage with it. We have not had an episode since May, and so we're relaunching that. God willing, at a January, February sometime, in both audio, video content, trying to provide digital, shareable, helpful content that really helps people grow spiritually. We know the entire next generation of followers of Christ and people yet to trust in him are engaging first and foremost on a digital platform. They will sit there and they will watch videos for days and hours before they'll ever walk through the doors of our church. And so we are committed to the long-term multi-year process of creating really helpful digital content um, using what we've already created and also we have a handful of dreams and ideas around that subject matter. If you are passionate around that area, man, do we have a lot of work for you. Uh, That's a breadcrumb. The Lord just keeps saying, walk this path. And so we don't know where it's all going to end up, but we know as we have resources, human and financial, we're going to move in that direction. Number two is local outreach and BCCI or the Bartlett Community Care 
initiative. The Lord has literally in our city opened up every single door. We have an incredible partnership with our trustees, with our mayor. Um, My wife is the uh, chaplain at the Bartlett Police Department, and she oversees the chaplain ministry there. Our local outreach has partnered with multiple schools in our area. Like every door is just wide open. So over the last year, uh, we launched this Bartlett Community Care Initiative, of which in weeks forward, I'm going to tell you more about. Uh, Basically, the premise is this is a collaboration with the Bartlett Police Department where we built an entire infrastructure digital infrastructure and human infrastructure where the city of Barlett can meet the needs and serve the needs of the city of Barlett. And so you'll hear about Love Bartlett Days. This is run by BCCI. It's a ministry of our church where we serve people in the city of Barlett all throughout the month. There are families in our community being served by BCCI in the name of Jesus Christ. The village of Barlett and the village church of Barlett are rising up to care for the many, many needs in the city of Barlett. It's been a very awesome uh, ministry. And we're watching the Lord open multiple doors. So we are just leaning heavily in this direction. I'll share more with you in upcoming weeks. Number three, shepherding and care. So we have an incredible group of deacons, but... Between our deacons and our elders, it is impossible to care for all of Village Church. Uh, And I I think God has, in his grace, provided so many men and women to be community group leaders, and community groups have been the front lines of of shepherding and care in our church. And so, like, I cannot stress enough, if you want to be part of the spiritual family, most of the care and, and, and self-care of each other happens in those communities. But those communities have their limits. And when they hit their limits, uh, the deacons oversee what's called Share the Care. And Share the Care is a group of teams that do home care, hospital visitation, prayer, you name it. Uh, there's a whole bunch of things that come out, job resources that come under Share the Care. If you have a need, Share the Care gets activated. And so we have a new Share the Care director, and we are just going through this and, and beefing it up and making making it as scalable as possible to sincerely help as many people in our local church community and even outside of that to be cared for personally and with excellence. Like, it is an unbelievable group of men and women who are leading this ministry, and I'm very excited for the future of that. More to come in upcoming weeks. Number four, facilities. Okay, so our sanctuary is the one place that is not to capacity. Every other room in this church is at capacity. Our parking lot is at capacity, all the kids' areas at capacity, everything. So a couple things that are happening um, in the upcoming months, we're going to be expanding our foyer just a little bit. We're going to need all hands on deck. We're going to have an opportunity to sign up for that. Um, We're going to need very specific skills, et cetera. Um, We're also going to be launching the upcoming months an entire renovation of our children's ministry area. We are going to be saving tens of thousands of dollars by doing that in-house. We're going to need the men and the women of Village church to step up, to engage. I've always said we're a scrappy group of people, and we're going to continue to be a scrappy group of people and not spend unnecessarily tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars when we have the resident resources to come together and get this stuff done. Um, And the fourth Sunday of um, January, I'm going to share with you um, just the big picture thoughts that our elders, our deacons, our staff have been talking about in terms of a building expansion, because we are limited in what that looks like for this property, uh, 
time frames that that could be, the actual cost of that. Put that vision out before you guys. We've told you we try not to keep a lot of secrets from you. So as we have ideas, we want to tell you more about that. So if you're curious about that, that's going to be something we talk about in detail uh, the fourth Sunday of, of, of January. But it's safe to say, um, like, we have 12 staff and three offices, right? Like, we are acclimating, and even those offices aren't really our offices. They're all just multi-purpose rooms. Um, children's ministry is just trying to figure out how do we put, like, 180 or 200 kids a week in this space, and so we're in the process of just trying to think through how do we steward this facility for the next um, generation here. And number five, we are looking to launch our third village church location out West. Again, come back in upcoming weeks. We're going to go deeper into that. But we are right now knee-deep into looking to hiring a church-planting pastor who would come on staff here for 6 to 12 months and then would launch a third village church location out west. We have about 150 to 200 people coming from the backside of Elgin. Sorry, the west side of Elgin. I'm not supposed to say backside. The west side of Elgin and beyond... And we think you would be better served with a village church or a local church in your own community. And we find that people are most prone to come to Christ when new churches start. And so it's one of the most strategic and neat ways to see people meet Jesus for the first time. So be praying for those. All right, so what? Number two, it is time to pray. We're almost done, don't worry. It's time to pray. And here's what I mean by that. It's time to pray. So if you um, want to take a picture of this, uh, vcobhub.org. The Hub is a website that we built that has everything you need if you are a family member at Village Church. If this is your church home, all the ways that you need to connect, all the signups that you need, et cetera. And this is what it looks like on a desktop. It's really the same thing on your um, uh, smartphone, just a little more condensed. But everything that you need is going to be there. Um, you can go there, and actually go back one slide if you would. Um, at the top left, it says Together 2020. If you click on that, um, it's going to take you, now you go to the next slide, um, it's going to take you to a page that has this on it. Um, and this is just a set, a, a group of prayers that we're asking that they would catapult you to pray every single day um, of the month of January for yourself and for Village Church, for our future, and for our leaders. On top of this, when you leave, um, this is also a magnet. We have a one, it's probably, it's actually the size of my iPad. And you can take uh, one for your mirror, one for your refrigerator. Um, but here's our, our ask of you. Our ask of you is that you would pray through these all throughout the month of January. Um, and then at the end of January, we're going to come back and talk about how to really integrate prayer more intentionally into part into our, our vision and dream of what God is doing here at the Village Church. Um, and so that um, is going to be online, but it's also going to be magnets that you can get on your way out. And then the next one... Um, I put this, this is actually a screenshot of my phone last night, and um, there are on this page, uh, whether you have an Android or an iPhone, you can just download a screen wallpaper, and just a reminder um, to pray, it's very simple, and so literally every time I open my phone, I see this, and I just take a minute and I pray, it's just an easy way to hold myself accountable, because I can be, apparently I'm diagnosed some version of ADD, I don't know, so says my wife. (laughs) who's also a counselor. Dang it. Okay. Um, Finally, the last so what. Uh, Rather than make one big ask of you, ranking two small asks. That first ask is pray, and here's the second one. I want to ask you if you'd be willing to figure out a way to be here every Sunday in the month of January. I want to tell you why. We're not trying to pack our stats. 
there's a lot of things that we're going to be sharing over the next three weeks. And what we want is everyone to hear these things together. Like when we talk about a building expansion, you need to be there to hear that. Now, if you can't be there, we have live stream. And if you can't do that, there's always the podcast. We're going to put all of it on there. But there's nothing like being here. Now, the average evangelical, we've talked about this so many times, they go to church 2.6 times per year. We, for the month of January, like very few of you are traveling, right? I mean, all your travels are over. You're all broke anyway, so stay home for a month, okay? And if you're at all able to be here and worship with us throughout this month, um, that would, I just think that'd be really important because again, there's a lot of things we want to share with you and we want you to hear them together. All right, so here's how we're going to close this sermon. Um, before I preach on a new series, I often write a letter for the church, Sometimes it's short, sometimes it's long, and it's kind of a way for me to make sure that my motivations are good, that the direction I want to take this series is good. And I have never, ever, ever like, read that to you, but what I want to do is I want to just take um, just a, a minute or two at the end here to read to you um, my heart for this series and basically the letter that I'm going to read before each sermon to make sure that we're kind of laser beam focused as I get in the pulpit. Little Church. 2019 has been the greatest year of transformation in our 48-year history. Over the last year, the Lord has brought together hundreds of genuine Christ followers who had previously never known each other so that God could build us together into one local church. The question before us is this. Will we come together as one church family for a common mission? What if? What if we came together in vision, unity, and love? What if we laid aside our fears and embraced what we know is God's will for our lives? The devil would certainly hate our small church more than he already does. 2020 is a year of decision for Village Church. We are at a crossroads. Village Church will either become a mall or a family, a commodity, or the household of God. Malls are simply buildings where disparate groups exist in a commodity-based environment, but families are fundamentally different. Families are bonded in blood. Families are united with shared values, shared living space, and a shared name. Village, we were designed by the genius mind of God to spiritually thrive in a spiritual family. We were designed to want spiritual family. We have been empowered to overcome spiritual pain and lean into our spiritual family for healing. The local church is the spiritual family we were designed for by Jesus himself. A village church, we're a spiritual family that is excited and willing to adopt any orphan. Whether those who find themselves abandoned or have just never had a spiritual family, 2020 is a year of decision. It's not simply for our spiritual leaders, but for each one of us. Will I become a meaningful part of my local church family? Will I allow past pain to steal another year of ministry that God himself has designed for me? Will I allow fear or past pain to steal my spiritual ministry and fruit? The next four weeks are about bringing those God has called the village church together as one body in vision, unity, and love. So before we move into 2020 and beyond, my prayer is that those straggling behind and struggling would jump in, arm in arm, moving towards God's vision for our wonderful church family together. Amen? Let's pray together. Father.
we submit all of our ambition, all of our dreams, all of our ideas, all of our wants, all of our pet projects, we submit them all to you. We want your vision for our church, but God, I know I can say I want your vision for each and every person in this room who calls themselves a follower of Jesus. Lord, I want them to be a part of a spiritual family. God, I don't know what family you've called them to. It might be a village, it might be a, a different place. Lord, that's up to you. But God, my, my heart and desire is that whatever's happening in this area, that people would be able to overcome by the power of your spirit and lean into even that which caused them so much pain. God, you are a healer. You've given us a spirit of healing and of overcoming. God, I pray that 2020 would be a year that you would bind us together, bring us together by your Holy Spirit and common vision and unity and love. God, I'm so excited for what you have in store for us. And I know that we start every single year and I have ideas and expectations, but what you end up doing by the end of the year totally blows my mind every single time. It even feels trite and insignificant to put these ideas before you. But Lord, we give them to you. We plant these seeds in the ground. We just say, water them if you want and we will follow you wherever you go and whatever you do because you're our leader. You're our king. You're our God and we love you. We submit all this to you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Well, as we celebrate communion, um, Jesus did not just die for enemies, which before we trusted in Christ, we were. He died for a strange family. He died <clears throat> to unite us back to himself. But I want you to catch this. He also died to unite us to one another. I think there's an idea that Jesus' death just saved us from hell. He also saved us to himself and to the family of God, to our brothers and sisters, to the local church. The idea of a Christ follower who has believed in the shed blood of Christ not being engaged in the family of God, that's like an oxymoron. Like the biblical authors don't have categories for it. And so when we come to communion, we come to this as a time to remember to remember that God has saved us from our sin. Yes, he has redeemed us. Heaven is waiting for us. But he has also, because of the shed blood of Christ, adopted us into his spiritual family. And he has purchased for us a family, <clears throat> a community here around us. And we are brothers and sisters because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, now, what, if you're new with us in communion, it's very simple. What we do is, is we're going to have a time of silence. It's an opportunity for you to pray, to talk to God, uh, confess. Thank him. He's been very good to each one of us. Uh, then we're going to do is we're going to um, pass the elements as we sing and we worship God together. Uh, what we ask of you is that you would hold on to the elements um, until the song is over, and we're going to partake together as a symbol of our unity uh, at the end of the song. Uh, some of you are new, and you go to different churches, and we just want to invite you. If you have trusted in Christ, it doesn't matter what church you go to, if you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the dead, if you believe he's coming back, if you believe salvation is not by works, but through faith alone, I don't care where you go to church. I just want to invite you to partake because we are one global family also, as well as a local family of God. Some of you are here and you've never trusted in Christ. And uh, here's our ask. As these elements pass by, would you not partake? Because to partake is to make a declaration that you are a part of the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. If you're not there yet, honestly, just so glad that you are here. But maybe today you are ready to trust in Jesus for the very first time. 
And if you are ready to trust in Christ, I just want to encourage you. Today's an incredible day to trust in Jesus Christ. This will be the day you never forget and you will never regret when you place your faith in Christ and you believe. When God adopts you in his family, he gives you his spirit and he gives you his people. It's an incredible thing. I promise you, if you have never trusted, today's the day. And if that's a decision you want to make, when these elements come by you, uh, I want to encourage you, partake. And as you partake, let this partaking be the first declaration that you believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and was raised again from the dead. And if that's a decision you want to make, um, partake of communion with us. And then I want to just encourage you, anybody that you've seen leading you in worship or doing or giving announcements or myself, um, come talk to us and tell us that you have made a decision to trust in Christ. And we want to celebrate with you. We want to encourage you. We want to give you a gift. And we want to help you in any way that we possibly can. Sound good? All right, let's take a moment. Let's have a time of silence and go before the Lord together.